begin in Genesis chapter 13, verses 5 to 13. A couple of weeks ago, we, re, we read where Jesus said, remember Lot's wife, and that'll be the name of this today is remember Lot's wife. Genesis 13, 5 to 13. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. <clears throat> so one of the things that we see in this is that Lot, Abraham's nephew, separated from Abraham because there was, they had too many flocks together. So Lot chose this place, this plain, and the prosperity of, the well, of a well-watered plain, a very prosperous area. You know, any, if you look at ancient civilizations, they always flock near water, and it says this was like the Garden of Eden. And it's like Egypt, you know, the Nile River, the, the Nile Delta and everything was uh, a great place to, uh, to live and to prosper. And so Lot chose to live in the city of Sodom. And um, from there we go to uh, Genesis chapter 19. And we'll read first verses 1 to 4. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Hear now, my lords, please turn in to your servant's house and spend the night, and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned to him, it turned into him, and entered his house. Then he made them a feast, and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. 
Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, and all the people from, the, from every square surrounded the house. Okay, and then we will read from verses 9 to 17. And they said, Stand back. And they said, This one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man, Lot, and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his son, son-in-laws he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind nor you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. <clears throat> we think of the words Jesus said that the coming, coming of Jesus, he said, would be like the days of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. And we take a look at some of the details of this, and for obvious reasons we skipped over some of it, uh, but the, immor the immorality and the perversion of this city and the corruption and the violence and everything else. And <clears throat> you see that God sends these two angels to rescue the godly, the godly man, Lot, and his family. Abraham had interceded for them, as we read before. And as we see that Lot goes out to talk to his son-in-laws to warn them to come with them and everything. And they laughed it off. They thought he was joking. You know, it was like they didn't take it seriously. And we are warning people today and every day as God gives us opportunity. There's an end to all this. The judge, God's judgment is coming. And people, I mean, I've seen bumper stickers mocking it. You know, I've seen people, I've heard people say things, you know, mocking Jesus coming back and, you know, the, the Bible and everything else, like it's, like it's foolishness. Oh, is there something written by men, you know? And this is what Lot's son-in-laws were doing. 
And Jesus, he said that there would be division among households even. And here we see that Lot's uh, son-in-laws ended up perishing in the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. They could have escaped, but they didn't take the word of God seriously. They could have escaped. And so, they were... They, God's judgment came upon them too and all of those of Sodom and Gomorrah except Lot and his wife and his two daughters left and the warning at the end of it is not to, return, not to look back and we continue in the story in verses 24 to 26 <clears throat> Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. In, in Luke 17, verse 32, Jesus says three words. Remember Lot's wife. And he was talking about his second coming, but he was saying it in reference to what happened here. There's something about what happened to Lot's wife that he wants us to keep in mind and to remember about what happened to her. And I said, oh, well, she didn't listen, and so she, you know, she turned into a rock, to a, a pillar, a statue of salt. Or a pillar of salt. Yes, that's true. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, why did she look back? Why, why was it? If you want to dig a little deeper, you say, well, why was it that she turned around and looked back? You know, you see that when the angels told them to come out of the city, there was this hesitancy to leave the city. You know, the hesitancy, and it says angels had to take them by the hand and pull them out of the city. It says God being merciful. Because maybe they would have stayed if the angels didn't do that. There was a reluctance to leave there. We read about the well-watered plain, the prosperity that we is implied in Sodom and Gomorrah. And It really reveals something about the heart. Lot's wife looked back because that's where her heart was. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, wherever your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And she turned around and looked back, disobeyed the command and looked back. And judgment came upon her too. And some may think, well, that was awful harsh. But God knows. And God knew her heart. And But the message is still the same. Why did she turn back? It's because the same reason that if you look in the Gospel of Luke, 
chapter 17 as we go to that now. Why Jesus brought it up. verse 28 says likewise as it was also in the days of lot they ate they drank they bought they sold they planted they built even on the day that lot went out of sodom it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all even so will it be on the day when the son of man is revealed listen to what's next in verse 31 in that day he was on the housetop and his goods are in the house let him not come down to take them away and likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Talking about stuff. Lot's wife turned back. Maybe she was looking back at all her china she left behind and all her stuff. You know? Jesus says when he comes, don't grab your, you know, your 40-inch TV or whatever. You know, don't, don't, don't go inside the house when Jesus comes and try to grab your stuff. The heart in the world. Jesus says, whoever loves the world, the love of God is not in. Love not the world or the things that are in this world. We begin to see in the words of Jesus, it begins to reveal what's going on with Lot's wife. And so, Lot's wife, though happened some thousands of years ago, stands as a warning for the rest of history, although the coming of Jesus. Because he says, whoever tries to save his life will lose it. Not just his stuff, his life, his way, his will, his agenda going to lose his life. I didn't say that. Jesus did. It's just in there. I was just repeating what Jesus said. But whoever loses his life will preserve it. The call and the heed that's taken by the elect of God. The elect of God hear this message. Because these are the words of the shepherd. Good shepherd. They heed it and they follow it. I tell you, in that night there'll be two men in one bed, one taken, the other left. Why is the other left? It's kind of like handwriting on the wall. You can kind of see what Jesus is saying here. And all the warnings of Jesus about his second coming. About the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins. Five were prepared and waiting and, and watching. Five were not. The wise and the good and faithful uh, servant. And the foolish servant says, My Lord's waiting a long is, is a long time in coming. And he lives his he, he lives his own life. 
He refuses to crucify his life, to, re to, to lay aside his life. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. It says that God remembered Abraham in the book of Genesis and he brought Lot out. And he sent Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Our prayers for others, our outreach towards others, God's covenant with Abraham meant something to God. And God's and Abraham's prayer to God concerning Lot was heard, and God brought him out. Even had the angels pull him by the hand out of the city. <clears throat> In Second Peter, chapter two, as we continue on. Verses 4 to 9. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented righteous, right, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to res reserve the judgment under penalty or under punishment for the day of judgment. God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. You know, they were the men of Sodom and Gomorrah were about to attack Lot and to do him great harm. Maybe they would have even kill him and his family. You see the resentment and the anger that they had toward him. And in that, you see that God rescued Righteous Lot and his family. And there's a message in that for us today because, excuse me, I can remember young couples saying, you know, I still hear it today. The world has such, become such a bad place that you hate to even bring kids up in it. You know, and the fearing, the great fear that can come upon us in trying to take care of and to raise a family to take care of a family in a time of great corruption. You know, we're living like Lot is. He sees, 
the way the way it's worded here that Dave just read tormented his righteous soul from day to day seeing and hearing their lawless deeds it says that they he was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked the immorality the indecency the immoral dress the way people dressed you know the lack of modesty so he was oppressed by all their corruption their filthiness their adultery His soul, righteous soul tormented from day to day. And there he was, raising his daughters, two daughters, in a corrupt place. His wife, in a dangerous and corrupt place. But God knows how to rescue us. And it's something we should never forget in this troublesome time. And you see that God rescued not only Lot, but his, his wife and his daughters. From judgment. They mentioned Noah and his family. Jesus said, We mentioned how we read before in Luke 17 where that God saved only eight people out of the original civilization, the pre flood civilization. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three and his three daughter in laws. And started over in judgment. God knew how to rescue righteous, godly Noah. He knows how to rescue his people. He has made a covenant with them. And he hears us. And you see that God heard Abraham. And it moved God to rescue Lot. You see... How we should be praying for one another and praying for those who are in a bad place, in a dangerous place, in a dark place. Pray for one another that we may be healed, that we might be helped, that we might be strengthened. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. You know, one of the things I hear people say a lot, like, why doesn't God do something to them? I used to be one of those people who said that. Until God gives you understanding. And then when you become a Christian, and the longer you live as a Christian, the more you begin to see things. And you begin to see that both in this world and the world to come, no one gets away with anything, except under the grace of God, the mercy of God. Only under God's mercy 
And God's mercy alone, people escape anything. If they don't come under God's grace, there comes a day of reckoning for everyone. And Sodom and Gomorrah, who knows how long that this went on. And then fire came down from heaven and destroyed them all. Who knows how long? Hundreds of years? Who knows? This immorality, the perversion, everything that happened, who knows how long it went on? But the fact is that God gave them time to repent. And then finally the day of judgment came for them. The Bible says that God is patient. Doesn't want any to perish, but all to repent. Even those who have wronged us. You see what James and John said to Jesus when the Samaritans wouldn't let him in their in their city. Let's call fire down from heaven like Elijah and burn them all up. And Jesus told me, "You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what manner of spirit you're of. I didn't come to destroy men, but to save them." This is about saving people, not destroying them. You know, how how James and John, I always wonder why Jesus called them the sons of thunder. I've always wondered whether it had to do with this that, that incident that happened about them wanting to call fire down from heaven. I don't know. But James and John was kind of like Jonah. He didn't care about the people of the city. He cared about, James and John, they only cared about what they did to them. You know, let us in our city, let's let them have it. Burn them up. It's not what God's about. God is not about bringing, you know, trigger finger bringing judgment. Yes, he's going to bring judgment. That, that's for sure. But the reason why it's taking so long and God is allowing people to continue to have dominion over the earth is because of his patience and his loving kindness. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants to give everybody a chance to repent until it comes to the point where if he doesn't intervene and judgment doesn't come, no one would survive. Man would destroy civilization completely. No one would survive, Jesus said. And that's when he will come back. At the brink of the total destruction. And we do certainly have the technology available on this earth for that now. Like never before. But God knows how to rescue us. Who are in, his, in Christ. And so, that should be a comfort against all these fears that we feel. What's going to happen to my kids? What if they take our kids away? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if all these other things happen? What if we don't have enough to eat? What if we run out of gas? We don't have enough oil to heat our house or gas or whatever. And it can just be a, a tidal wave of anxiety and fear just wanting to overwhelm us. And it will overwhelm us. If we let it, if we don't trust God, the just shall live by faith. We have to live by faith even in these troublesome times. Troublesome times are here. Filling men's hearts with fear. We know the song. 
the book of Jude, chapter 1, the only chapter. Verses 3 to 7. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper dom domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under the darkness, under darkness for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Mm -hmm. The judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah, particularly immorality and perversion, going after strange flesh, we all know what that means. It says that God set that forth as an example to those who would live like that afterwards. Talks about how God saved people out of Egypt but afterwards brought judgment against them. You know, this is a warning to those who profess Christ but in, by, by, in the book of Titus says they profess they know God but by their works they deny Him. Denying Christ by the way they live. Still wrapped up in the world, in the way of the world. Making excuses of every kind. For our way, our agenda, to fulfill the desires of the evil nature. Warns of angels who came under judgment. And it's a warning to us, like the warning of Lot's wife. This warning is everywhere, both the Old and the New Testament. A warning against God's judgment and to heed the voice of God. Noah moved with godly fear. It says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, to the saving of his household. Built the ark, the saving of his household. And the question is, are we who are in Christ moving with godly fear? Is that what's moving us and motivating us? 
Or is there another agenda in our life? That's kind of saying, yeah, I know what God says, I'll get to that later. There are things that we have to look at seriously. Take heed to this warning from Jesus. Remember Lot's wife. It's not one of condemnation. It's not one of harshness. But it's a message of conviction of the Holy Spirit. Of God's mercy. God's warning to Lot is not of harsh. Was to rescue him. It was a message. It was a rescue operation. And that's what God is all about. To rescue us. Not to destroy us, but to save us. And to follow his voice as his sheep. And not follow any other voices. Not the voice of the flesh, not the world, voice of the world. The way of the world, the logic, and the and the regimentation of the world. Not the way of the enemy, but the way of the Lord. The way the Holy Spirit is leading. So we now, now read from verses 20 to 25 of Jude. But you, beloved, building yourselves up, on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. In the face of all this, it says, But you, brothers, build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the, in the Holy Spirit. You ever wonder what it means to be praying in the Holy Spirit? The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit will help us in our prayers. Help us. Praying in the Spirit. Building yourself up in the most holy faith. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Faith comes in the ways that God has laid out for it to happen. It's very important. To build ourselves up in this most holy faith. This faith in God is a holy faith. We are called into a holy fellowship. Not a corrupt, filthy, immoral fellowship. A holy and godly fellowship. I remember one time Reed was telling us that when he came back to the Lord that he started going to this traditional church. Uh, it was a, one of the mainstream denominations. And another brother challenged him on it. And he says, well, but they were, you know, this and they're that, and they have all this resources and that, and this, this whole history and everything. 
And the brother's answer to him was, yeah. He says, but it's not a holy fellowship. And it kind of took Reed back, because you know him, and he felt like God had said something to him and confronted him about some things that he knew all along was, was turning a blind eye to. And so it kind of helped him, God showed him that helped him to kind of reset his thinking a little bit. A lot, actually. But that's the whole point, is that this is called to be the most holy faith. A holy faith in God. A holy fellowship. Holy brethren. That means separated. Separated from what? The way of the world? The way of the flesh? The way of the enemy? The way of our own will? Separates us unto the will of God. The way of God. The leading of the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. So then he kind of says something else here in verse 22. Verse 21, I'm sorry. Keeping yourself in the love of God. You see how we read about Lot that he was tormented from all the ungodliness around him and all the all the terrible things he was seeing around him. And that's our world today. And it says in the, in the midst of that, there's a very strong statement It says, keeping yourself in the love of God. Against all the meanness, against all the ungodliness, against all the immorality, and everything else that's around us and around our children, everything else, to continue... To keep ourselves in the love of Jesus. And it's challenging to all of us. We all know it. It can be terribly challenging. But it's the admonition that we receive from the Holy Spirit here. Keep your, keeping yourself, or keep yourself in the love of God. In the midst of all this. That's tormenting us and distressing us and everything else. To keeping ourselves in the love of God. Building up our faith and keeping ourselves in the love of God. What a great admonition for us, an exhortation to us from God in the midst of this world that we live in. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it says in verse 24... Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you present you faultless for his presence of his glory with exceeding joy. God is able to, as we read in 2 Peter, he is able to preserve us. Don't live in fear and anxiety about the corruption all around us and our children. Don't live that way. You don't have to, you know, go out in some mountain on Timbuktu so that, you know, everything will be okay for us and our family. You don't have to do that. I know that's a trend in Christendom. But how can we be light of the world and salt of the earth if we, if we withdraw to the frontiers? Away from people. We're supposed to be the light to people. We're supposed to be the lighthouse to people. We are the salt of the earth. 
We are the light of the world, as we read recently. God is able to keep us in all of this. And He hears us in all of this. Things may not look good, that doesn't mean He doesn't hear us. Our prayers may not all be answered yet. I don't know, is there anybody here whose prayers have all been answered? I don't think so. This, I mean, every prayer that we have now is... I mean, there's still things we're praying for. He's able to keep us from stumbling. He's able to preserve us. Keep us from falling away. From keeping us from apostatizing and everything else. Second Thessalonians says that the man of sin won't be revealed until there's a great apostatizing from the faith. Does that mean that's me and you? No. What it means is those who are the elect, those who hear His voice and they follow Him, they will continue to the end. He will preserve us to the end. And the same shall be saved. He who endures to the end, the same shall be saved. Jesus said about the time of great trouble, great tribulation. Keeping ourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ until eternal life. And then, after he's done talking to us, he talks about those around us. And of some have compassion, making a distinction or a difference. Making a difference in the lives of others. You don't realize how much we can affect the lives of others. You know, we won't really realize it until we're on the other side. It's not just about us getting there. It's about the ministry of reconciliation that's been committed to us between us and others that God has given to us. Make peace with God. With others saved with fear, verse 23, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. When you think of... (laughs) What I think of when they pull people out of the fire reminds me of what we read about with the angels grabbing Lot and his wife and his kids out of, out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now this is not telling us to be forceful. This is telling us not to give up, not to write people off. Let's just throw our hands up and forget about them. Don't pray about them. Pray for them. Don't trust God for me. That's not what this is. It's the opposite. It's telling us to continue and let God use us in this rescue operation. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the mouthpiece for Him. We are the lighthouse, the example. Second Timothy says, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all. It says, might be, must be able to teach them.
The servant of the Lord must not strive or quarrel, argue, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. In humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses, escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. They're in Satan's prison house. Have mercy and compassion upon them in their flight, those who have fallen into Satan's prison house. Unsaved or backslidden. It says, patient. I remember when I was a young believer, I shared the word with people. If they didn't, they didn't accept it, or if they, you know, mocked it, I get angry with them. I start striving with them. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel and strive. You know, God was patient with us and brought us to Him. Don't be offended. God might grant them repentance in humility correcting them. Not in pride. Not in harshness. Worry what they did to you. Forgiving. The book of James says, if any of you wander from the truth, he says, I know that he who turns a sinner from the error of their way shall save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. If anyone among you wanders from the truth. Any of us among us wanders from the truth. Speaking to the church. If any among the church backslides and wanders away from the truth. They were at the truth. They are following the truth. They wandered away from it. We don't have to name names. Not just in our group. In many groups. You know people who once professed Christ that are not following the Lord now. Some aren't even professing the Lord anymore. Faith has suffered shipwreck. Talks about turning them back. The rescue mission. There it is again. Jesus came to save sinners. And he's given that ministry to us. Dave, I'm going to start with you. Again. <laughs>